<laughs> I'm going to be um, following on our series today on uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse um, 6 to 18. Um, and I'm going to start by reading from that. So if anybody wants to turn to it, I'm actually reading from the NLT, which you'll probably come up on the screen in a minute. And I'm going to start from verse 7, but I will be uh, referencing verse 6 as well. So it says, the old way with laws, or sometimes called the old covenant, with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, or the new covenant, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way? which makes us right with God. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced with glory, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face, so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So I'm just going to pray before I start. Lord, I just pray you um, you take these words, Lord, and you'll just um, use them in, in an amazing way. You bless us all, Lord. I thank you for blessing me and preparing this sermon. I just pray that um, we can just learn more of you through this. Amen. Amen. So, um, as it says in those words, Moses, which um, it, it touched on in Exodus 34, had a remarkable encounter with God, with the presence of God. And when Moses came back from the mountain um, to see the Israelites, um, they couldn't even look on his face. They couldn't look on his face. Um, he he came down and um, Aaron pointed out to him that they just couldn't look at his face. So Moses had put a veil over his face. But Christians can now behold the glory of the Lord with an unveiled face. This is our experience through Christ. Christ has allowed us to be able to look upon his, the full radiance. And he is himself is the answer. How can we behold the glory of God? Jesus is the answer, how we can behold it. It says in Hebrew that he's the new temple. He gives us full access to the presence of God through his flesh. And in Matthew 27, it talks about, um, when Jesus ascended, it talks about the curtain being torn in two, doesn't it? And that curtain harks back to the time when Moses only um, look, was the only person who could look on the glory of God. When he went into the tent of meeting to, um, to uh, meet with God, he was the only one who could, go, who could 
do that with an unveiled face. So the implications of this are profound. First, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we have unlimited access to the very presence of God. Second, through Christ, we are given an unashamed boldness to enjoy our free and limitless access to God. It says in, in 3.12, be bold. And, you know, being bold is, is really important. Third, this access to God's glory is the very means that the Spirit uses to bring about our transformation. That he's transforming us daily into the image of God. From start to finish, the believer is being transformed into God's glory. Now, for those who aren't um, completely familiar with the Old and the New Covenant, a covenant, in effect, is a promise, or a, a, almost like a contract. And in the Bible, it tends to be a contract with um, God with someone. So, in the Old Testament, um, God had a contract with Noah. He said, after the flood, he said, never again will I flood the earth. And the sign was a rainbow. He had a contract with Abraham. He said to Abraham, even though Abraham was old, his wife was old, and she had been barren for years, he said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. And he had a covenant with Moses. Um, that, you know, that he, he could look on his face. Um, but in the New Testament, the covenant is our, um, the covenant is God, through Jesus, has made a new covenant for us. He's opened um, the, the access that we can look upon him without this, this veil on our faces. But it makes you wonder, again, in, in a church in Corinth, which would have been largely a Gentile church, why Paul felt the need to explain these things. In some ways, it harks back to when I preached last time, where Paul had to almost explain himself to the super apostles. There were people in Corinth, and it's, it's the same in all walks of life, who, who wanted to almost trip Paul up, who wanted to question him. They wanted to almost out-Hebrew Paul, because Paul was quite well qualified as a Hebrew. In Philipp Philippians, Philippians 3 5, it says this I was circumcised on the eighth day, as is custom, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, so he's one of the uh, tribes of Israel, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. But you know what? What I find is quite um, interesting here the same people who are now trying to trip up Paul, or almost trying to um, make him justify what he's doing, were the same people who were questioning Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees at the time. They were the same ones who were trying to um, trip him up. You know, the, the um, question that they asked him, um, who should, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, you know, what, what, what's the show on the coin? And he said, it's a picture of Caesar. We'll give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. So the first, um, the first few chapters talk about the, the, the greater glory of the Spirit. So Paul concludes that the ministry of the Spirit is more splendid than the ministry of death from the laws. The ministry of righteousness is more splendid than the ministry of condemnation. Permanent ministry is more splendid than that which passes away. So as I said, 
Um, in um, this harps back to in Exodus where Moses came back down off Mount Sinai and he had to wear a veil over his face because the radiance of God of the Israelites couldn't look upon him. Moses prayed, show me your glory and God answered him in a, in a unique way really. Moses shone with the glory and it says in, in, in God's word didn't it, that, that we should be radiant, the people should, you know when I walk out there and I go down to the spa or wherever, wherever I go, somebody should look at my face and think, wow, he's a bit different, isn't he? And it's not because of high blood pressure. They might think, yeah, look, what's going on? Paul argues, however glorious the origins, the Lord doesn't, didn't bring life to God's people as the Spirit does. In um, verse 12, as I said, it says, we, we should have boldness in the hope of our glory. Have such great promises and expectation. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, bold doesn't suggest to me that you walk around and... Mm, I'm not going to tell them anything because I'm a bit, mm, a bit embarrassed, to be honest. Mm, I don't think I'll say anything to them because... Um, I, I don't know, I'm going to just be... I'm going to be like all the rest in work because I don't really want to stand out. I don't want to make a bit of a fuss. Everybody just make fun of me. I never forget years and years ago now, I, I'm fortunate to, to um, come to Christ through, through Kat, really, through meeting Kat. She was a Christian, and um, through meeting her, I became a Christian myself. And I'd worked in my place of work for quite some time before um, I became a Christian. And I never forget, one woman came on to me, and she said, um, oh, I, I remember what you used to be like. And I, I, what I should have said, oh, that's good. I'm glad you remember what I used to be like, because it's obvious now. I've changed. Um, but she was quite nasty, quite, you know, bit, probably a bit like the um, super apostles or the Pharisees in this. In uh, verse 13 to 15, it talks about the veil of the old covenant. Paul made his point that the new covenant was more glorious than the old. And he takes the concept further by talking about the veil. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ can it be taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. And it made me think a little bit about um, anything similar and stuff. And the only, the only thing I could think about with a veil, and I'm sure many people will be able to identify with this, is when you get married. You know, I, um, when I got married, I stood at the front and somebody walked down the aisle, half, and she was <laughs> wearing a veil. And the, the, the veil, I'm led to believe, having read, is, comes from Roman culture. So it's not, doesn't hark back to, um, the Bible, but it comes from Roman culture. But it made me think that I saw Kath walking down the aisle. She looked amazing. She looked unbelievable. I think I probably had a tear in my eye. Um, but she was wearing a veil. And, when she, and it made me think I couldn't look on her face until we were at the front of that church ready to make a commitment before God. Because Marriage is, a, is it says in the Bible, doesn't it? It's where you, you, you will leave your mother and father and you become married to your wife or husband. 
And when she took the veil off, I could look on the radiance of her beauty and her face, and I've been looking at it for 31 years since. <laughs> That's the embarrassing bit over cat, right? But, as I said, even to this day, Moses is red, a veil covers their hearts. And it's very sad. The Israelites were dull to the truth. But who made their minds dull? It wasn't God. Read what Paul says a bit later in this letter. He says this in um, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 to 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So it says there, doesn't it, that the, uh, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the eyes of the Israelites. But then it goes on to talk about, in verse 16 and 17, in um, chapter 3, the, the spiritual freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who takes away this blindness. This blindness that Satan wants unbelievers to keep being um, oppressed by. The Spirit of God takes it away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, it says. Now the Lord is a Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So it is clear from those words that it's the Holy Spirit is the bringer of spiritual light, of revelation, of freedom from the Lord. And in verse 16, Paul talks about the Spirit of, of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord refers to Jesus. Paul is, is, is doing a direct... Um, in, in the English version, it uh, uh, says it quite well. But the veil is removed. As the scripture says, Moses' veil was removed when he turned to the Lord. Now the Lord in the passage is a Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. So what kind of freedom is this? What is the difference between um, being under the law and being under Jesus and the Spirit? What is the difference between the old covenant and the new? So it's, it's freedom from the letter of the law that comes. It says in Galatians 5, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And again it says in Galatians 5.18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We are not under the law anymore. I'm not saying that we should go, go around um, sort of thinking, Oh, well, the Ten Commandments, the Commandments don't really matter anymore. I can do this, I can do that, I can do the other. We can't. But God, through what he did for us, and we sang about it earlier, by through the sacrifice on the cross gives us a way of being um, forgiven for the sins that we have committed and sins that we will probably commit in the future. Paul concludes this section with a wonderful verse that describes Christian sanctification. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So what it suggests to me there, from glory to glory, it's not a, right, I've done it, you're glorious, that's it, amen. No more, no future. It's from glory to glory. Moses' face was radiant because he spoke to the Lord. 
Why did it glow? I guess because it absorbed some of God's presence. And we, in the same way, can behold that glory, but over and over again. We can, get a, we can have a full measure today, and tomorrow we can ask God for another full measure. We can keep asking him to top us up, Lord. Come on, I want a full measure to the point that if you, if you um, use the analogy of a jug, when you fill a jug, if it fills up to the point where it gets to its brim, it overflows. We should be overflowing, shouldn't we? In the Revised Standard Version, it says this of 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, and being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. One degree of glory. Little bit at a time. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In um, the Greek word for, for being changed from glory to glory is, is um, morse. I don't know if you remember, now I, 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 as you can tell, looking at me, I'm quite old, right? <laughs> and I used to watch a program called Take Heart. Remember that? Yeah, remember that. Oh, thank you, Kate. I'm glad some of you missed it. <laughs> and they had, they had this character in Take Heart called Morph. And he was just a little plasticine oh, model. Morph, yeah, really Morph. 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 Yeah. yeah. Heart, heart, Take Heart. Take Heart, it was back in my day. 1920-something. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, take heart. And they literally, you know, with all the, the modern things nowadays that they can do wonderful things like in Marvel and stuff that I know John loves and they morph, you know, um, Parker morphs from Parker to Spider-Man. Um, now I'm struggling. That was it, Parker to... Yeah, Peter, uh, yeah. yeah. David Banner, Hulk. Yeah, I remember that from back, back in the day when Dave, David Banner. David Banner is the TV show that Andrew will remember. Yeah, yeah. David Banner, huh? Your years ago, it says. You're not talking about, you know, modern films. I'm trying to think about um, Batman with Wayne Bruce. Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. See? I'm not a Marvel fan, as you can see. But the word is morph. And what it means is that econ, with that, which means. Uh, basic, either basic form and features and form and appearance. So we are morphing or changing as morph did, um, and morph changed because Tony Hart used to come along and change him and then take another picture and change him and take another picture. So it looked like this fast C model was moving around the place. Very old school, I guess. But in Romans 8 29, it says this For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to. His likeness, or to the likeness of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God knows us and he predestined us to be to the likeness of the Son. And we said in the past, don't we, that and God is our Father, Jesus, and we are, we are adopted as his Son. So Jesus, is, we are to his likeness. But morphing or changing is a gradual process. Becoming holier and godlier in our character to match our holy standing. In Galatians 5, 16 and 22, 23, it says this. Live by the Spirit, I say, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Therefore, the, um, show the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. God wants us to change so we show um, the fruits of the Spirit rather than... Um, if we were under the law and not um, 
cleansed by the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus doing the things we were doing in the past. Ultimately, doing what we're doing now, going to church, doesn't really transform us. What changes us is how we worship the Lord, how we meditate on Him, how we sing to Him, how we speak with Him, how we pray to Him, how we drink in Him through His Word and through the Spirit. Just like Moses spent time before the Lord and was transformed by it and was shown this radiance that was so overwhelming and so strong that the Israelites couldn't look on his face. That's how we should be. We should be transformed, morphed daily. This transformation is gradual. Literally, as it says in the word, from glory, glory to glory. And we're going to go back into a time of um, worship soon. But if, if anybody um, doesn't really feel that they um, had gone through the process where um, God has, has, has told them that, look, you know, I, I have died so that you can be free from the law. You can be free from your sins. I'll be standing a, somewhere at the back uh, worshiping if you want to come and talk to me. If you feel you want to be um, filled again or morphed again or that you want the spirit to touch you, um, I'm sure there'll be people to, willing to pray with you. I'll be at the back. I'll be more than happy to pray with you. But in conclusion, and this is something that I've made up, so if it's heresy, my apologies. Um, but to my mind, the old covenant says no, the new covenant says glow. Oh. We should glow. Or grow. You could say glow and grow. But the old covenant is all about law. It's all about you shall not. You shall not. You shall not. The new covenant is you shall. Because God has found a way for us. Amen.